We're more, this morning we're continuing our sermon series through the season of Lent, our, our journey to Jerusalem, and we're using passages from the lectionary to look at stages on uh, Jesus' path to Jerusalem. And this morning we'll be reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. But before I read that, I invite you all to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves." Take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who want to lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So this past week, we reached a milestone in our household. Our puppy Clyde turned two years old. That may not seem like much of a milestone for you, but we have been waiting for this moment for, well, about two years. You see, puppies who are spaniels, like Clyde, uh, tend to have pretty bad behavior for the first two years of their life. In fact, we took Clyde to puppy training to try to train some of this bad behavior out of him, but we learned from uh, the trainer that it would take about two years for him to become an adult and put away some of that bad behavior. He would do things like, of course, bark all night long and chew up all of our stuff, our furniture, our shoes. He would jump all over people when they came in the house to the point where we really couldn't have anybody over. And it got to the point where we were just mesmerized by what haul that he could do with this little tiny puppy, this little tiny fuzzball. And so finally, we have started to notice as he's gotten closer and closer to two years old that he has started to put away some of that puppy behavior and become more of an adult dog. Thank goodness. In fact, I think if we had known that this was going to be his behavior, if there was some sort of job description or some sort of understanding of the responsibilities of taking care of a puppy, we might have thought twice about adopting him. Actually, probably not. We love him very much. But that's the case with a lot of jobs that we have and a lot of commitments that we might make in our life. It's important for us to know what the job description might be before we make that commitment. And in fact, there are times in our lives when we make those commitments and we discover that there are things not listed in the job description that actually surprise us once we take on that responsibility. 
For instance, I bet all of us at different times have had friends who have invited us to come and help them move from one house to another, and we think it's just going to be an hour or two of work, and then we discover that it's several hours of back-breaking work, and we wish we had never committed to it in the first place. Or maybe some of us have been invited to, to serve as honorary members of boards here in town and things like that, and we think of it as just sort of an honorary title, and then we get to work and discover that we're required to donate a lot of our money to support this work, or we're required to go out and, and serve in ways that we didn't think we were supposed to or were ha would have to, and we discovered there's a lot of hidden things that we didn't realize we were committing to. Even here at our job descriptions at the church, we have a little line at the bottom that says, other responsibilities as needed. And you often discover, once you start the job, there are a lot of different things in that job description that you weren't expecting when you first did the interview. Those are things that happen to us all the time when we make commitments. It's important for us to understand what those responsibilities will be before we make a commitment to trying something new, whether it's a new job, whether it's new work, or whether it's even a new relationship. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to do in our passage this morning is, is share the full job description with these disciples who are trying to follow Jesus and become Christians. Jesus has been teaching around Caesarea Philippi for the past few weeks, and the disciples, he's called several of the disciples, they've been following him, they're excited about who Jesus is, they think Jesus may be the answer to their prayers, the, the person that they have been waiting for to help them renew Jerusalem, renew Israel, and overthrow the Roman Empire. And here, as they've been teaching, and Jesus has been teaching and preaching, Jesus starts to tell them a little bit more about what it means to be a Christian. And he tells them very openly that he is going to suffer and he is going to die. Peter, of course, as it says, rebukes him. And it says, Peter, even though Peter's sort of been the star of the show at this point, the star disciple, the star pupil, Jesus denies Peter, pushes Peter away and says, get behind me, Satan. And then he goes on to tell the disciples what is required of them to deny themselves, to carry a cross, and to follow Him. Now those words, to pick up your cross or carry your cross, have almost become like cliches in our world today. We say, it, oh, that's my cross to bear, things like that. But I promise you, it was not a cliche for those early disciples. Those early disciples heard those words, and they immediately thought of crucifixion, the cross on the top of the hill in Jerusalem. For those early disciples, for, for people of Israel, the cross was a symbol of terror. It was a symbol of pain. It was a symbol of, of execution and, and excruciating pain. This is the way that the Roman Empire executed people who tried to overthrow the Romans. And so anyone who was thought to be a traitor was put on a cross. And so for the, the Jewish people, the cross was not a blessing. It was not a cliche of any kind. It was a curse. And now here Jesus is telling them, you need to be ready to carry a cross, to deny yourself, to pick up a cross, and to follow me, to sacrifice yourself for the sake of your faith in God. Now, I dare say when all of us were choosing a church, we didn't look for that in the job description. 
Many of us probably asked a lot of questions about this church when we came here to Faith Presbyterian. We asked things like, well, is the preacher any good? Is the, is the choir any good? Are there opportunities for me to study the Bible? And, and are there people here like me who are going to accept me for who I am? Is this a place where my children will feel safe? Is, is this a place where I can worship God? Is this a place where I will feel uplifted and loved and cared for the way that I, I hope to be cared for? And all of those things are, are wonderful questions, healthy questions to ask. But I dare say there weren't many of us who said, will this be a place where I can sacrifice? Will this be a place where I can carry my cross? Will this be a place where I can deny myself, put my desires, my will, maybe even sometimes my needs aside to care for my neighbor, to care for other people around me, and to put God's will before my will? I dare say none of us looked for a place where we could carry a cross and sacrifice ourselves. And yet that's exactly what Jesus Christ calls us to do. There's a little illustration that the great preacher Will Williman tells about serving at Duke uh, Divinity School or Duke University as the chaplain there at Duke University. And he was lamenting to some students about how he wished more people would come to, more students would come to his chapel service. And as he was talking to these students, one student interrupted him and said, well, you, you can't really blame these, these students at Duke University. After all, these are the best and the brightest students in the world. And he thought for a minute, well, you might be bright, but you're not very humble, are you? But she went on to say, you have to see that these students know that if they come and they give their life to Christ, they're smart enough to know that it means their life will change. They'll have to change things about their lives, make God their priority in their lives, and they're smart enough to know that they may not want to do that. That might be uncomfortable for them. So I'm surprised you get as many students as you do. Maybe it's uncomfortable for us to hear these words from Jesus Christ who calls us to deny ourselves, to deny our, our will, to deny our desires, and to put God's desires and God's will first. I dare say we are blessed in this country where we don't have to sacrifice our, 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 for the ability to worship and to study the Bible as they do in some other parts of the world. In fact, I dare say I ask many of you, and if I ask myself, how many times have you had to sacrifice for your faith? I dare say as I look at my life, and I can only answer for myself, I, I can't think of many times where I've had to truly sacrifice my life or sacrifice for my faith. But it, it happens all over the world around us. Just this past year, in fact, Randy sent a little video to me online. Maybe some of you saw it as well. He sent a video to a lot of us about a, a minister who's a, a pastor of a mega church out in Hawaii. And let me begin by saying his theology is a lot different than mine. But, but he told this little story about going over to China to try to, to preach and teach to Christians over in China. And when he, he, he went to a place in the Hunan province and, and got a little hotel room there in the middle of the province and had 22 Christians from all over the province come and join him there to learn and study the Bible. Some of them were on a train for 11 hours to get to that little hotel room to learn with him. And then they sat there on the floor for three days to study with this, pre this pastor. They had to divide up to come into the hotel so that they weren't conspicuous when they came in because it was illegal for them where they were to be practicing their faith in this way. When they got up to the room, this pastor asked them what would happen if we were caught. And, and they told him, well, you would probably be deported within a day or so, and all of us would go to jail for three years. 
And so then he asked them, how many of you have already been to jail for your faith? And 18 of the 22 people raised their hand. And then he started passing out some Bibles to them, but he didn't have enough for all of them. And so he, he, as he passed them out, there was one woman there who kept giving her Bible away. And as they started reading Scripture, he realized that, that she was reciting the Scripture, even though she didn't have a Bible in her hand. And he asked her how she knew so many passages of Scripture. And she, she told him, well, when I'm in jail, I've memorized Scripture. People bring in small passages on little pieces of paper that they've written down, and I, I try to memorize them as fast as I can before they're, they're confiscated from me. And he was amazed at the, just the dedication of their faith, their willingness to put themselves on the line just to study the Bible and to worship God. And when he asked them right when he was about to leave, he asked them what could he pray for as he prepares to go back to the United States. And of course they said, pray that we can be like you. Pray that we have the freedom of religion like you do. Pray that we can worship just like you do. And he qualified that a little bit. He said, well, I'll pray that you have freedom of religion, but I'm not going to pray that you're like us. Because you see, people in my church, if they had to drive an hour to go to church, they wouldn't come. Much less 11 hours like you did. Many people in our church have two or three Bibles in their homes, but they barely read them. But you all have memorized them off of small sheets of paper. You all go far in a way to, to put yourself on the line, risk being arrested, to practice your faith. That would never happen where I come from. Now truly, we're, we're blessed. We are fortunate to live in a country where we have the opportunity to worship God as we choose to. But that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities every day to carry our cross and to put our lives on the line for God. Even here, we are called to deny ourselves and to carry our cross, just like Jesus calls us to do. There are opportunities every day to put ourselves aside, to, to, to deny ourselves and to deny our desires and to put the things that God has given us on the line for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of people around us in need. And so, during this season of Lent, I hope we can ask ourselves, how can we do that? How can we carry our cross during this season of Lent? How can we find ways to use the resources that we have been given to help those people around us in need? Where are the opportunities that we have to be despised and rejected or to stand beside those people who are despised and rejected in our community so that they're not alone? Risking our reputation, risking our jobs, risking our money. Would we be willing at times to, to use our money or even go into debt to help people who are hungry, to help people who don't have a place to live? Would we willing to be willing to put our lives on the line for what, who Jesus calls us to be? As I said before, I can only answer that question for myself. And while Julianne and I try to be very generous with our time and our money, I have to be honest and say I can't honestly look at all that I have and say that I have sacrificed and so, in order to continue to follow Jesus Christ, it is imperative for me to take a long and hard look at myself, at who I am, and look at the ways that I could put my desires aside and make God the center of my life. Because you see, far too often as Christians, we try to make God work around us rather than trying to make God at the center and surround ourselves around God's will and God's plan. 
There's a, a very elementary el, uh, uh, illustration that I, I, I don't even know that it's true, but it makes a pretty good point. There's a story about a, a, a sculptor in France named Auguste Rodin who was driving through France and he saw a church, a, a Christian church that had closed down in France and they were getting rid of so many things there in the church, including this one great, big, beautiful cross. They had thrown it out on the side of the road and he thought it was just this beautiful piece of artwork and so he didn't want it to go to waste. So he got some friends and he took it to his house and when he got to his house, he realized that the cross was so big it wouldn't fit through the door. And so he took the hinges off the door, but that still didn't work. And so he finally broke down some of the, the molding around the door and even broke in through the door, tearing up the door of his house to get it in. And then when he got it in, he realized he couldn't stand it up because it was so tall. And so he got an architect and redesigned his house so that he could put this beautiful piece of artwork, this cross, right in the middle of his home. He redesigned his whole house around the cross. How many of us would be willing to do that with our whole lives? To take the lives that we have built, to take the lives that we have created for ourselves and build it around God's kingdom and God's purpose. That's what Jesus calls us to do. That's the job description that God gives us as disciples of Jesus Christ. If we want to follow God, then we have to deny ourselves, put that cross on our back, and follow Jesus wherever He might lead. Now, as I said before this morning, we are, are ordaining our new elders and deacons this morning. And over the past five weeks, they have been working very hard studying and learning about what it means to, to be servant leaders of our church. And one of the things you all might remember you had to learn is the job description for an elder and for a deacon, and actually for a church member as well. Now, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. You've already passed your exam. Well done. But uh, it is important to remember who you are called to be as elders and as deacons. And even as church members, we read those responsibilities of a, just an everyday church member, of what you're called to do to be a member of this church according to our book of order. And many of those things might sound like things that that I'm called to do as a, as a pastor, or Trinity's called to do as a pastor, they're actually things that we're all called to do. To preach the gospel everywhere we go. To study the Bible. To support the church with our time and our energy and our money and our talent. To, to be here when the doors are open and try to, to help and support the work of this church. To sacrifice ourselves when we can to, to help for the work of this church and to build healthy relationships. But before all of those responsibilities, Jesus Christ gives us the greatest one of all. To deny ourselves. To carry a cross. To follow Jesus where Jesus might lead. All the way to Jerusalem. All the way to the cross. Sacrificing our lives for who God calls us to be. And yet Jesus Christ promises that even though that's counterintuitive, even though that's against our nature, that when we use our lives to point to God instead of pointing to ourselves, that our lives have a greater meaning than they would ever have on our own. The great theologian Paul Tillich says these words. He says that to be a saint is not to be a perfect person. To be a saint is to be a transparent person. So that people don't see you, but when they look at you, they see something greater. They see Jesus Christ. That's who we're called to be, to carry our cross. And today, as you all take those ordination vows as elders and deacons, and you think of all those responsibilities that you have, I hope you will join me and join our whole church during this season of Lent as we think about what it means once again 
to deny ourselves and to carry our cross. Because after all, that's who Jesus Christ calls us to be. Jesus Christ says that those who are willing to lose their lives will save it. Those who are willing to trying to save their lives will lose it. That's the story of the gospel that we're called to share with the world. And as I think about it today, that seems to be what happens on Easter. So let that be our story this day and every day. Amen.